1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is episode 175 of the podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you for taking time out of your day. Even if you're distracted with something else, thank you for taking time to listen to this podcast. Because this is the 175th episode, there's nothing inherently special about that number or this episode in particular, but it does give me an opportunity to remind you that if you have yet to go to iTunes to leave a rating and review, that I would appreciate it if you would do so. Of course, if you have any questions or comments or accusations, always feel free to reach out to me, Matthew at castingacross.com. But if you were able to leave a rating review on iTunes, that would be great. It gets the podcast in front of more eyes and consequently more ears, and it gives me an opportunity to grow uh, the audience and the folks that I interact with, which is really, at the end of the day, what to me is the most important. So now on to this show. We are going to be talking about gear. And you might say, you know, we've talked about gear a lot over the last few weeks. Well, that's what's in my head. That's what's in front of me right now. Uh, More than fishing, in a sense, because this is being recorded in the middle of March. And up here in New England, things are either frozen or really high. And so I'm anticipating in a couple weeks in the future, being getting out a lot more, and I'll be able to talk about getting out a lot more, because oftentimes what I talk about here is what I'm engaged in, what I'm doing. Um, But right now I'm preparing for a trip down to where things are much, much warmer, uh, and the fish are much saltier. I'm also just getting my gear ready in general for my season up here in New England, chasing after trout and eventually warm water fish, uh, and then eventually the saltwater fish up here. So my gear is what's in front of me, and it's getting what I have kind of dialed in, uh, trying to figure out what I need to add to supplement to, to what I have. So I'm thinking about gear. So that's what we're talking about. But today we're not talking about buying new gear. We're talking about old gear, specifically maybe old gear that you have or old gear that you might acquire. We're even talking about antique fly fishing gear. Now, there's two kinds of antique fly fishing gear uh, or old fly fishing gear. I'm not sure exactly the the right word to use. 
There's stuff that you have that you put on the wall because you need to decorate your office or maybe your man cave or woman cave, to be fair. Secondly, there's stuff that's old, that's vintage, that is perfectly serviceable and is worth using. And both are good things to acquire if you have a need or you have a desire. So today in the podcast, I'm going to talk about three things to think about when you think about older fly fishing gear. First, where you get it. Secondly, what you should use. And thirdly, why you should use it. So the first thing I want to say is, uh, actually before I get to those things, where you get it what you should use and why you should use it is there's some stuff that's not worth using uh drugstore cheap gear um and uh reels that are are very very flimsy and cheap or maybe even beat up i've got a really nice old reel it's just so dented and scratched uh where the 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 rim of the frame meets the spool that it's just unusable but if if you have it up on a shelf in your office it it looks nice and so that goes up there i have a couple of uh, drugstore bamboo rods that they feel like broomsticks and even with like a nine weight line they still cast like a broomstick so I don't anticipate using those in the salt, and I don't think they'd be very effective for even something like musky. So what happens? They go up in my office, and they are decorative. That's their only purpose. So there's some gear that's only for decorative purposes. The same thing with some flies. And actually, some of the very first antique or old fly fishing gear that I acquired was from my grandfather. Once I started fly fishing, he said, oh boy, come out to the the, the doghouse, which was this little shed off the side of his house. And he said, I think I got some stuff. And you know, living in central Illinois, it was not a bed of, of hotbed of, of fly fishing activity. And so my grandfather did have a few things, probably picked up at yard sale or maybe from trips up to Wisconsin or Minnesota or something like that. And sure enough, he had some gear. He uh, gave me some flies. And then, like I was saying, these flies were like one feather tied to a hook, uh, but they were tied in such a way that they probably would have been an effective streamer pattern. Uh, not very glamorous, not the greatest as far as aesthetics, but uh, you looked at them, they were well-made, nice hooks, good thread wraps, and I can just anticipate that if I were to fish these today, I'd be able to catch fish on them. But he gave me some of those. They were up in my office still. Uh, and then he gave me a, a reel. And this was the first legitimate antique piece of gear I got. And just guess if you were to receive a piece of gear from the 1960s from your grandfather that was a reel what do you think it was and if you guessed a shakespeare automatic reel you would be right and so i was just really intrigued by this i'd never seen as a young fly fisher this is probably in the late 90s or mid 90s uh an, an automatic reel and so i researched it i went to the library this was back before the internet was as prolific as it was and i was reading these antique tackle books and learned about it and learned about why people used it and why it went out of style but interestingly enough as a little bit of a sidebar if you kind of pay attention to what uh, folks are fishing with in europe there's people that still use automatic reels and uh, i was actually talking to a scandinavian reel maker at a fly fishing show and he said for euro nymphing there's a lot of guys that use them because they're able to retrieve that slack and get to that tight line very, very quickly after they make their little mends and casts. I thought, oh, that's interesting. Not something I'm necessarily into, and certainly not something I'm going to be using this antique uh, reel for that I have up in my office, again, for display purposes. So that's where you, you, you see some things that they're fun to have. It might be fun to play with, but it's probably more for decoration and uh, maybe saving it for someday when somebody really, really needs it to use it for some, some harebrained idea they have out on the water. But all that to say, that's the first great place to get stuff. You know, you shouldn't 
have relationships with your grandparents or your elderly neighbor just so that you can get the fly fishing stuff that's in their basement. But more often than not, that's where we get the things that we receive that are older, maybe that are from a few generations in the past. And that's where I've, I've received a lot of my antique fly fishing gear, stuff that's from the 50s and 60s and 70s. I know the 70s isn't antique. I mean, goodness, I'm, you know, that's only a few years before I was born. But, um, you know, there's certainly a rapid change in the nature, the engineering, the uh, the style of fly fishing gear from the 70s into the 80s, uh, a real big change. I think it's, it's almost like, um, you know, this very, very quick uh evolution between the the late 70s and the early 90s in, in just the nature of fly fishing gear. I feel like for the last maybe 15, 20, even 25 years, things have, have been incrementally improving. But to see the way that fly fishing gear looked and, the, and feel the way that fly fishing gear performed in the 1970s versus even just the, the late 90s, it's, it, I don't want to say it's day and night, but there's some significant differences. Um, that's a little bit of an aside, uh, Sage the, the company Sage is uh, unveiling some new technology here in, in real time in the in I think the next couple of weeks and so what they're doing is they're going back and they're highlighting uh, some of their original rod designs uh, going back through the different graphite models that they've used and as I've as I've looked at that thinking my goodness this company is not much older than I am and uh, the the rods that they're talking about as being like their first models were some of the first models I was exposed to so that's kind of crazy to think about. I want to say it makes me feel old. I don't. I don't base my self worth off of my my age in comparison to a fly rod company. But just it's just interesting to see again the evolution of of technology. So getting stuff as hand me downs. But secondly, getting stuff from yard sales. When I drive around and I see a person on a Saturday morning setting up a bunch of tables, I'm always scanning to see if there are fishing rods leaned up against a table. And I will pull over and I'll quickly just scan to see what's out there. If they have a really nice spinning rod for dirt cheap, I'll consider getting it. But if I see a fly rod, I'm over there, I'm grabbing it, I'm looking at it, I'm trying to figure out what it is and if it is worth picking up. Look at the price tag. If it's you know under fifteen dollars, unless it is a foam handled uh, you know department store fly rod, I'm probably buying it. Bare minimum, it can go up in the office for decoration. Or maybe it's a really, really great find. Uh, I found a couple of cool rods this way, actually. And it wasn't because I saw the fly rods leaned up against tables, because I saw the rod tubes leaned up against the table. Um, I saw some warm brown triangular rod tubes leaned up against table, and I went over and they were a couple of um, Fenwick Fairlights from the 1960s. I've actually accumulated like four or five of those couple of hand-me-downs, a couple that I bought off some people I know, and a couple I've bought from uh, yard sales. Great fly rods uh, and functional fly rods, which I'll talk about here in a second. So uh, hand-me-downs can be great. And once people know that you fish, you probably get some hand-me-downs. I've had people show up in my office and be like, yeah, I found this in uh, my grandparents' uh, attic when they were cleaning stuff up, and I thought you'd like to have it. Some stuff goes up in the office for decoration. Some some stuff makes it down into my my tackle room that uh, I actually use. So hand-me-downs, yard sales, and then you'll never know where you find it. I found I found some cool stuff, really more for decoration, but a couple of things that I've used at antique stores. That's really not my preferred place to spend a Saturday afternoon, but every once in a while I find myself in them, and I find books there most definitely, but you find other 
cool stuff too. They might be a little bit more like uh, tchotchkes or um, you know little stuff to put up in your office. But uh, I've I found a couple of reels. Again, one that is not functional and serviceable, but it was only like five dollars, and it was a really cool um, you know late uh, '60s reel that sits in my office just for for decoration. So that's where you find the stuff. Now, what do you use? Obviously, you're not going to use a reel that's not functional. You're not going to use flies that were tied with with thread that you can tell is just going to disintegrate as soon as it hits water. Um, you're probably not going to use uh, antique boots or waders. But fly rods, more than anything else, I would say fly rods are the kind of thing that are worth using. And here's why. And this melds why you, what you use with why you use it. Uh, fly rods and the, the taper, like I was saying earlier, has have evolved over time not so much that you have to learn how to cast again to use a flyer that was built in the you know the 50s or the 60s but the slowness of those early 60s fiberglass fly rods that i have was shocking to me when i first received them in the late 90s i had no clue how to cast the things uh, it was like night and day compared to the really, really speedy graphite that was becoming in vogue at the turn of the century, which is, again, kind of ridiculous to say, but going from the 90s to the 2000s, fast fly rods were what everybody was using and what everybody was making. It gives you an opportunity to appreciate different styles of fishing. Again, if you haven't fished bamboo, uh, maybe picking up an older bamboo fly rod for an inexpensive price is a great way to experience a taste of what a really high quality bamboo fly rod can bring to your fishing. So I think this is a this is a worthwhile kind of insertion here. Just because it's old and just because it's bamboo doesn't mean it is a good fly rod. In fact, there's a lot of really crummy dime store fly rods out there that are bamboo. But just like you can have a cheap graphite fly rod today, there is cheap bamboo fly rods that were made 75 years ago. I have some of them. They cast like broomsticks. Uh, you know, they were designed for like a seven weight line. You put and they they cast like a broomstick. You put an eight on there, still stiff. Nine on there, still stiff. I don't think I have a ten weight line. Uh, and even if I did, I think the thing would still be stiff. So. You know, just getting an old bamboo rod doesn't mean it's going to be good. Just getting an old fiberglass or an old graphite rod doesn't mean it's going to be good. But if you find something that's decent, something that would be commensurate with a you know $150 fly rod today, uh, you're, you're going to have a taste of what a vintage bamboo or a vintage fiberglass rod was like. And then if that's something that you like, then you can actually consider, all right, do I want to buy a contemporary version of that? Which there are fantastic contemporary fiberglass rods, as I'm sure you're aware. Fantastic contemporary bamboo rods. But those are pieces of gear that you can find in the secondhand market for relatively inexpensive. Um, I've got, as I was mentioning before, a handful of Fenwick Fairlight fiberglass rods from the 1960s. And some of them cast better than some of my contemporary fiberglass rods. They're a little bit slower, but I really like the taper. And if you can find the right line weight to match up with them, because again, this is a little bit of a, of a uh, equation uh, where grain weights for your fly line can vary even within that weight designation. I don't have a chart in front of me and it's not really fun radio, but uh, if you look at the grain weight of a fly line, you will see that within that five weight, it can be within a certain tolerance. And 
to kind of deal with or accommodate to or cater to that speeding up of fly rods that uh, I was talking about over the last 25 years, a lot of the normal trout fly lines have gotten heavier or to accommodate the, uh, the, the desire to throw heavier flies um, and throw, you know, under extreme circumstances, you have tapers that they might be heavier, but they might be a really front-loaded taper for a, a line. And those are not going to be the best lines to cast with an older rod. Some manufacturers actually make lines that kind of have a heritage taper. Uh, Cortland, Royal Wolf are two that, that create lines that really do well. Um, I like Cortland's, um, it's called Silk, is, is a line that a lot of people don't like. I'll be completely honest with you, but I like it. I like it for bamboo, and I like it for fiberglass. I think it's a, a very good casting line. And then probably my favorite for bamboo and for um, fiberglass and slower rods is Royal Wolf's Triangle Taper. It's an excellent line that performs very well with slower uh, rod actions. And it's because it's a truer um, grain weight for that line weight, which is, is very helpful. If you have a rod that probably you know is, is designated for a seven or eight weight uh, line, which isn't uncommon for older rods. It was given two line designations because the, they were probably, in some sense, more concerned about you fishing well than you buying well uh, back then, um, then you usually want to go with that lighter of the two uh, line weights. Now, that's not a, a hard and fast rule. I, I was actually reading recently with uh, uh, on some, some forums about how, as a rule, you always fish one light lighter for Orvis bamboo that was built in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Uh, have a, a, a rod that's designated, um, I think it's HGH, which translates to a seven weight line. And that's another thing. If you've never gone down the rabbit hole of uh, bamboo or older graphite or glass rods, then you notice they don't, might not have numbers attached to them. Um, they might have a letter designation, and it's usually a combination of three letters. Once you get into the heavier line weights, it can get like five or six letters. But there's conversion charts for what that line weight is, whether both the weight and the taper. Uh, some rods were designed for a particular weight and then double taper or weight forward, uh, and they had a letter designation. Again, that those resources are super uh, available online. Uh, Orvis itself has a, a conversion chart on their, uh, like a bamboo info page on their website. But all that to say, there's this kind of conception out there that it's a hard and fast rule that you always want to underline a very, very slow rod. But I think that is to accommodate this modern f taste for faster rods. But why should you fish with older fly rods? Why should you use older gear? And I think part of it is to appreciate the finesse and the delicacy and a little bit of the uh, appreciation for the experience that maybe comes with some of the aesthetics that we have lost as we have gotten a little more like extreme in our fly fishing over the last uh, couple of generations. Uh, I am all for progress. I am all for companies, like I was saying before, like Sage, pushing the, the boundaries with what is the next technology. Uh, some of my favorite fly rods are fly rods that were almost like experimental technology that kind of was it was a dead end of the evolutionary tree of a certain company's um, uh, you know, technology uh, concepts. But 
you go back in time and you're going to find these tried and true designs where you have an example of something like the Fenwick Fairlight, which I keep bringing up, or of Orvis Bamboo. And for 10, 15, 20, 25 years, it was that very, very small incremental change over that particular taper and style and and uh, components of, of those fly rods. And so it's very tried and true. You don't have a lot of rods that are that way these days um, because companies have to bring something new out. They change stuff. And uh, there's some winners, but there's a lot of stinkers. There's not a lot that's, that lasts you know, maybe more than 10 years out there. And so to find something that lasted a long time, you can appreciate the way that a lot of people in the community, kind of in the in the fly fishing world, how they fished for a long period of time. Plus, it also kind of connects you with um, with the people that came before us. So if I'm using a piece of antique gear and I find that it matches up with what was being used in an older book, I think that's kind of cool. Uh, one, one good example is I was... Um, went back to a classic fly fishing book. It's um, Barry and Kathy Beck's Fly Fishing the Flats. I was looking at some information for Florida uh, for a trip I'm, I'm going down on uh, in, the, in the next couple of weeks. And I just wanted to say, okay, well, what do they say about this area? Now, this book was published, I think, in 1994, maybe 1997. I can't remember. Um, but the gear that they're using was in that book was the very first gear that I was exposed to because I started fishing in the mid-90s. And so I have a Scott rod that there's a picture of in that book. I have a, a reel and some other gear that is pictured in that book. So it's kind of cool to see that, you know, although that gear is like 30 years old, I'm still using it. And it kind of ties me back to not just when I started fishing, but other people who were fishing and who were innovating at that very same time. It also, if it is, kind of kind of bring things full circle, something that was handed down to you from somebody that you care about, somebody that you love, somebody that invested in you as a young angler, um, maybe a mentor, maybe a grandparent, then that connects you to them. You can bring them on the stream. And I'm actually going to be writing a, a piece about that. I've got a buddy who's um, getting into fly fishing and has come into some gear and, and uh, just kind of how that is a way to augment your experience on the water by by tethering you to the people that came before you which means a lot more than you know i've met barry and kathy book back i've you know shaken their hands and whatnot but i don't know them so seeing them using the same gear i have is is kind of novel but it's not the same as knowing that okay this is the rod that my grandfather fished with this is the rod that my grandfather handed me after i watched him fish with it for you know 15 years or whatever i mean there's something very very cool about that does it help you catch more fish no but again if this was about catching more fish, there are much more efficient ways to do it than fly fishing. So I think I can I can safely say that that's not why you are into fly fishing. So hopefully this is a good little primer on the subject. Uh, hopefully it gets you thinking about what you might have in your closet. Maybe what might be in a closet of a of a family member's who's you know who who has fished in the past, or maybe just likes to accumulate stuff. Again, I'm not saying cultivate relationships so that you can get fly fishing gear but if it's out there and you can use it more often than that people are going to be happy for you to have it and again keep your eyes out on yard sales unless you're on the north shore of massachusetts in which case this is my turf so watch out this week on castingacross.com the first article is called cast hope fly fishing commitment cast hope fly fishing commitment cast hope is a great fly fishing organization that is devoted to getting kids out on the water but they do something really cool that not every other organization does and i'm this is not to the detriment of other organizations i just think that it's really neat that cast hope 
also gets parents, grandparents, mentors out on the water with the kids because they appreciate the fact that the limiting factor for many kids to fish is resources and transportation. And so they want to train up children to appreciate what it means to be a steward of the environment and experiencing the environment through fly fishing, but also the people that are in their lives that can maybe make that happen, the people that can uh, continue to foster that love in the lives of kids, which is awesome. I'm all about intergenerational. I'm all about um, having this be a family or, or a relational activity. So it's a really cool program. Read the article on Casting Across and then go check out their website. Wednesday's article is called Trout and Feather, March 22. Trout and Feather, March 22. This is my uh, monthly contribution to Tim Camisa's Trout and Feather website. And this week I talk about going back out, seeing things in person, specifically fly tying demonstrations. And so I have a picture of Tim doing a tying demonstration uh, at the fly fishing show. And I just talk about how great YouTube and Zoom have been, but how being there in person is better. There's so many benefits to being there in person. The product uh, uh, that you get when you are physically there is a better product than what you get online. So check that out, as well as some links to a couple of videos from Trout and Feather. As always, top-notch production, top-notch content from Tim over at Trout and Feather. This week's recommendation on the podcast is Spinoza Rod Company. Spinoza Rod Company is in Massachusetts, run by some great people, fantastic social media, wonderful website, and their primary thing that they do is bamboo fly rods but they also deal in antique tackle. It's worth being a follower of theirs on social media just so you can see beautiful reels, beautiful rods, uh, everything from you know early 20th century up to things that might be 25 years old, but uh, they are truly valuable pieces. And there's a couple of, of benefits besides just kind of drooling over what they, they have in stock. This is also a way to kind of become acquainted with what's out there. That way, when you do go to a fly fishing show or maybe an outdoor show and you see a antique piece of gear, you know, okay, this thing's worth a couple hundred bucks and they're selling it for like, you know, 75. This is worth getting. Or if you are taking that next step, you have enjoyed fishing with that kind of mid-range model from the 1970s uh, rod, how you can step up and get a piece of gear that is quality. So if you go to their website, you can see the rods that are in stock. You can see what reels are in stock. They actually have older listings that are on there, so you can kind of get an idea of valuation based upon the condition of the gear. But again, you get to look at really, really cool stuff. And if you've been fishing for 30, 40, 50 years, you can kind of go back and and have a stroll through through memory lane here, seeing some of the things that they've listed on here, uh, things that maybe even the rod manufacturer, the reel manufacturer might not have those sort of specifics and images on their website. So head over to Spinoza. It's at spinozarods.com, S-P-I-N-O-Z-A rods.com. I will put a link to their website on the show notes of this page at castingacross.com. Again, if you're on social media, follow them on Instagram. Really cool stuff uh, just to browse through. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish.
Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, a mule there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.